0: GDPR was one of those changes to the way we looked at data. I mean, I think, you know, if we talked earlier about me and my, you know, opinion about the golden era of the early 2000s and that that world. I think back in the 2000s it was all about innovate, innovate, innovate. You know, we've got this cool new tech and tools. Let's just push this as far as we possibly can go.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. My guest on the show today is Denise McKenzie. She's the co-director of the Benchmark Initiative and today on the podcast we're going to be talking about location privacy. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by landgrid.com. So this is your go-to resource for all things parcel data, property boundaries, ownership, land use and all kinds of other property property data covering the entire US. Yes, unfortunately this service is only for the US at this stage, but I I know one of the co-founders of this company, uh, Jerry Paffendorf. He's actually been on the podcast before and if you go back through the the archives and have a look for polygons of ownership, you, you'll learn a lot more about what they do over there at Landgrid and I know that these guys have plans on expanding so this is a pretty amazing database it's a pretty amazing resource they're built over there at langrid.com, and it's well worth checking out okay let's get into the episode Hi, Denise. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm really pleased we could make this happen. There was a little bit of back and forth there, but we're both here now and I'm really looking forward to the conversation. So today we're going to be talking about location privacy. And this is a bit of a hot topic at the moment. So again, looking forward to this. And perhaps before we jump into the the conversation, perhaps you could just give the listeners a a brief overview of your background. How did you get involved in, in Geospatial?
0: Uh, I think accident was probably the best description of how I got into geospatial. So, you know, after doing a a degree in public policy and politics, I kind of fell into it in the early 2000s um, when I worked for the public service in Melbourne in Oz. You know, back then, it was such an exciting time, I think, to be involved in the geospatial community. We were just at that changeover point where you're getting, you know, geo out of GIS and onto the web. And you saw players like Google and Apple getting into the marketplace. But I was just really super lucky to get involved with some great innovation projects like the Spatial Smart Tag and the Victorian Mapping and Address Service that were really focused on taking the power, if you like, of geospatial and putting it into the hands of the non-technical people so that we can kind of make lots of better decisions. I guess from there, you know, about 12 years of that work, I then did a rather insane thing of moving my entire family overseas. So I'm now based in the United Kingdom. Uh, and since then I've done the outreach role at OGC, looking at open standards. I do the chair role with the association for geographic information, Passion areas, like, you know, women in geospatial and looking at diversity, uh, and currently working on the benchmark initiative. So, uh, looking at geolocation location ethics.
1: Wow, so you have a real depth of, of history, I guess you could call it, in the in the geospatial world. Interesting to say that you that you thought it was a really exciting time back then in the early two thousands when you were just getting involved. Just as a, as a side sort of question, um, do you still think it's an interesting time?
0: Do you know what? I think where we, I think it is, but for a different reason, I think back then it was a little bit like, you know, when you're in the first time you go to high school um, and you've got this, you know, you know, a bit you're growing up. Uh, there's so much to learn and there's so much that you can become. And I think that early 2000s was really that for the geospatial community. I think kind of where we are now is almost like you're in your early 20s. We're, we're now really being forced to be a lot more mature. We're being forced to, to really play with the adults now um, and be a really mature international foundation piece for our global decision making. Um, so I think it's exciting, but for different reasons now. And I think that's why you're seeing topics like the, the ethics of what we do sort of raising its head at this point uh, and, and being a bigger, greater issue.
1: So, I think this is an absolutely brilliant time to jump into the main topic of this podcast episode, and that is location privacy. You mentioned ethics there, and I'm pretty confident that that's going to come up later on in the conversation. But maybe we could start off by saying, why is location privacy important?
0: Location privacy. I think location privacy is currently such an important thing because, you know, as we all, you know, those of us that work in the geospatial space, geospatial data is really, really powerful. And Particularly, I think, in the last sort of 10 years since we've had mobile devices and mobile sensors on our body, location data has gone from being something which is kind of general, about general groups. You know, if, you, if it was about an individual, it was usually through a survey, etc. Whereas now it's real time. So location privacy is so important because now there is so much data out there that can identify me. You know, and can identify my children, or my husband, or my grandmother. You know, so I think that now privacy is being one of those things where people are uncomfortable about how much organisations know about them and how much other people can find out about them. And your location tells a lot about you as an individual. So it's become, I think, a fairly hot topic, particularly you know, in, in the case of the last six months, looking at um, the issues of the pandemic. And how governments have gone about trying to, to trace individuals, how they've said they, they are or are not going to deal with the data about that. Uh, and what it's shown is that, you know, again, we're probably not that mature yet in understanding what the right ways are of handling that personal data uh, in relation to your location.
1: Okay, so I completely agree with that. I think I'd put a few more words around it. So I would describe location data as becoming personal and incredibly granular. When I think about some of the tracking scenarios which you described there, I mean that this really does expose us. It's, it makes us very easy to identify. But I'm wondering now, is that necessarily a bad thing all the time? Or is there also a lot of good that comes with that, at least that you can see?
0: That's a really good question. You're right in saying that there is great good that can be done with that granular data. Uh, I think the the challenge that we've got with it is that there isn't yet good transparency from you know, governments and organisations about how that data is, granular data is going to be used, whether it's going to be exposed publicly, whether it's going to be um, you know, processed in such a way that it's uh, it's no longer about an individual, but it shows a group because it's seen the patterns of the individuals. So I think whilst there's amazing good that we can do by, do by having that granular data, and I don't want to scare people from sharing their data, what uh, I think we're about on the benchmark initiative is trying to, to educate people a bit more about some of the risks that come with this, and to to get people to to want to find out more to want to understand what an organization is going to do with that data so that they know and they're confident that things that might identify them in a negative way are going to be you know protected and and not made public
1: haven't we already seen steps towards this when i think about the general data protection regulation for example here in the eu and when I think about the uh, a lot of the conversations around data ethics, don't you think that sort of location data will just sort of fit naturally under that and these, that, this kind of transparency that you were talking about will naturally happen anyway?
0: I, I'd love to say that that was the case, but I don't think, I, I'm not sure that that is. Um, I think you know, when you look at the the data ethics conversation and the AI ethics conversation, et cetera, there's, there's some really great charters out there and there's some great sets of principles that are there and we're doing something similar with our locus charter that I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. I think the challenge though you have with some of that conversation is that it's somewhat esoteric, you know, it's, it's so high level, that it's really difficult for people who are practitioners, so the general everyday GIS user that's trying to do their project, how do they translate that set of principles into their everyday work to make sure that they're not going to do harm, you know, to make sure that they're not going to do the wrong thing. So I think, you know, in each one of the, the different data disciplines, whether you're looking at statistics, whether you're looking at geospatial allocation data, it's really important, actually, that we look at our craft and look at our activities then say okay well what's the right behavior for us to protect that privacy what's the right set of skills i need to put in place or the right set of measures and protections in that because i think it's through the practice that we make sure that we learn and that we make sure that we do the right thing
1: i completely agree um but in order to do that we need some kind of guidelines like a usable set of guidelines as opposed to a massive amount of fine print that, that we don't really understand and so we've used the word transparency before already in this conversation and in a previous conversation we talked a little bit about a transparency register perhaps you could walk us through the, the thinking behind that and how we as geospatial practitioners might use this
0: that's that's awesome i mean to be fair we haven't quite got to the geospatial register in um in practice yet that's a it's a concept that's been raised but it's a really exciting one so it was suggested to me from from someone who, who works on a project in a developing country where they have a location data service that has gone through many, many cycles of change. You know, it, it started off with one purpose looking at flooding, it got then asked whether they could change it to start looking at fires, and with each time they had to go through that cycle, they made a new set of decisions they made a new set of trade-offs if you like because you know data wasn't available to them or the location information they were going to collect was going to to make people um, people's privacy be infringed and so but for them they were like we've made all these great decisions but we don't have a really easy way or a consistent way to to communicate that and to be transparent about what decisions we made and why we made them Um, and so that's where the idea of a transparency register was born because they said you know what would be fantastic is if there was this sort of agreed standard or a template where for each one of those critical you know ethical type decisions that was made along the course of the project You know, could they have a register where they could keep track of those? You know, and you you mentioned uh, in there the challenge of the fine print, you know, all of us have seen those great terms and conditions and things, and no one ever reads them, Um, just clicks to get forward to the app. So the transparency register was also, I think, our idea or way of saying, well, can we get a much simpler format or communication tool for letting people know what we're doing, why we're doing it? And so we can do that communication and and keep that transparency and trust open with, with what we're doing with people's location data.
1: I think that sounds like a, a brilliant sort of a set of, of first steps, if you will, being transparent about what we did, why we did it. And you talked about trade-offs in there. And I think that that's a really interesting way of looking at it, because if we take, I think, a classic example of, of data privacy, if you look at a social media app, let, let's not mention any one in particular, but you think <laughs> about social media in general, and I'm sure most people by now understand that this is a barter. This is a barter agreement that I'm entering into I'm getting something of value for you, from you, sorry, and you are getting something of value from me. So I am the product in this in this situation, but the value I'm getting from you is so great that I'm willing to make this trade-off. And I think the only thing that's sort of missing here is that real transparency around exactly what's happening. I think most of us have a, have a broad understanding of of how this sort of barter arrangement is working. We've seen it in practice for many years now. There have been some really interesting cases exposed in the media recently about this. But is this the kind of thing that we should be moving towards? Like, a really clear understanding of what trade-offs we as practitioners are making and what trade-offs users are making when they enter into this agreement with us.
0: I couldn't agree more with everything that you've just said, Daniel. It's, you know, you have to realize now that data isn't just data, it's currency. Um, and you as an individual with whatever device you are looking at, whether it's your mobile phone, whether it's, you know, the the watch that's got a GPS in it, that's tracking you around all that data is valuable to somebody out there whether it's uh someone who's looking after roads that wants to know where people are traveling or the transport people or the marketers that are there so i think you know it's so critical at the moment that people recognize that it is a barter exchange you know this is a time where actually we we are the currency if you like and we need to be careful with that in the same way that you think carefully about where you invest your money and which shares and which bank and so forth you should be being careful about where your data is going and who's using it for what reasons you know i think recently there's been some really great tv shows as well to go and look at you know the social dilemma illustrated for me just so well why you have to be careful because you know this is personal stuff about you uh, and if people know a lot about you, then then they can help to change your opinion. They can help to guide you towards buying their products. You know, so I think it's important that we become educated about this process.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree. I think education is the key here. Transparency is the key, but doing it in such a way that we can understand it, that users can understand it, and when we think about geospatial practitioners, that they understand what they're doing it, in some sort of documentation seems to make really good sense here. I want to sort of emphasize that I think a lot of the times when we talk about these issues, when we talk about the issue of privacy, that we, we focus on the bad stuff, you know, the, and which is fair enough. We focus on the things that we need to fix. But there's a lot of good coming out of these sort of barter arrangements that we're making with our data, because I think as any good marketer knows, they can't solve a problem if they don't know what the problem is. And I'm wondering if you have any examples that, that you can think of where this barter arrangement, where this exchange of data has led to some really, really great outcomes.
0: So, you know, I think currently one of the best examples I can give you is around looking at things like mobility data, Uh, particularly as we as a global race come out of our lockdown space. You know, we're having to do social distancing. That's an entirely new cultural way for us to deal with things and how we get around, such as what transport we take and what methods and, and modes we choose is really, really important. But at the moment, cities... Uh, and transport authorities desperately need the data about who's accessing the, the different measures that they're putting in place. So take city of London, for example, uh, has been, uh, had a program to look at micro mobility, so scoot, you know, rentable scooters and bikes and, and these sorts of things. What they really wanted to know as well is what's really critical is to know that everybody has equal access to these options. Uh, And so to do that, you actually really want to get down into sensitive information, like the race of the people who are accessing it, like the gender of the people who are accessing it, so that you can see whether any of them are missing from your data and then try and work out why that is. So obviously that's really personal. And the only way to do that is to get people to opt in and share that information when they pick up that scooter when they complete their journey, Um, you know, when they take that bike and, and ride it down the street. So, you know, there is great good that can come from the sharing of that data. But that's also really personal about people and you wouldn't want to necessarily make, for example, someone's ethnicity information publicly available you know for for you know, as much as I'd love to say the world is is very equal and nice about these things there are obviously people out there that can do harm with that information so it's that it's that great challenge of being having to treat that data really carefully and sensitively because it can do great good but in the wrong hands it can do great harm
1: yeah, this is going to be so interesting to see how, how all this plays out because you know we really want the good bit, we're not so interested in the bad bit, but the the tension is here these trade offs that are going to have to be made, and I think at the end of the day it's going to be a personal decision, you know, for for each user, but I mean people can only make that kind of decision if they have the understanding, if they have the transparency around it. So you mentioned mobility before. Uh, which is a very topical thing to be talking about now. We're living through a a pandemic. And I also mentioned GDPR. So this is the the general data protection regulations. Do you think these two things have kind of fast-tracked our understanding of data privacy, of location privacy?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think GDPR was one of those changes to the way we looked at data. I mean, I think, you know, we talked earlier about me and my, you know, opinion about the golden era of the early 2000s and that, that world, I think back in the 2000s, it was all about innovate, innovate, innovate. You know, we've got this cool new tech and tools. Let's just push this as far as we possibly can go. Whereas I think we've reached this kind of really interesting space now where, oh my gosh, we can do pretty much whatever we want. You know, this technology now is just so powerful that we can't even imagine the next thing that we're going to be able to do. And because of that, that power that we've now got, there's also much greater chance that we can do harm. So you're watching, if you like, the reins being pulled a little bit and say, well, I know we can do that, but should we do that? And I think GDPR was that real first big change, if you like, in the European space, at least that sort of said, look, you can't just do whatever you want, really, with data. You know, there there are really important reasons why this is personal and why people should have control of this. I think it was also a bit of a, a first stage as well of this concept of it being a barter arrangement, you know, that this information is, is valuable to an individual uh, and that that needs to be recognised. So I think it it's definitely part of the process. I think GDPR has got really great points. I think its implementation has some challenges uh, in how it's been implemented around the place. And I think, again, that comes down to communication and people's understanding of the regulations when when you do these sorts of things. But I do think it's had a very good positive influence in the privacy space.
1: I wonder too if this is just the first iteration of these kinds of legislations. And I wonder if you know the first time you go in with a broadsword you made sweeping changes and next time you go in with a scalpel and look at things and go, oh, what went good, what went bad next time and the next iteration is better and the one after that is even better <laughs> than the first couple and on and on and on and things get better as we go. We we talked about transparency a lot, you know, really massive topic in itself. I am constantly amazed at how not very transparent geospatial people are. And I feel like because we work in a very technical space that we're almost afraid of making mistakes. We're almost afraid of documenting it. And we're definitely, at, at least in my opinion, afraid of showing it to the world, you know, in case somebody else points out a mistake that we've made. What, what do you think needs to happen in terms of changing that mindset, that that culture?
0: Ah, well, I think we're in the first stages of doing that. It is such a true thing. I, and I think, you know, yes, we are... I think, poor at that in the geospatial space. I think we're poor in the technology sector. You know, I think that if you look at the growth of the, the technology sector as overall, it's, you know, been so much about the shiny, doing amazing things. Um, and I think the few times that someone or an organisation gets caught out for doing something bad, they're vilified so strongly in a media context and the information gets shared so widely that there is a really great fear of doing something wrong and and being caught out for that. So I think there is there is a definite culture change that needs to happen here. There needs to be an acceptance. And I think, you know, I don't think any geospatial practitioner would disagree with the fact that no project is perfect. You know, in every single time you you build a map or you look at a service that's going to use location data throughout it, there will be trade-off because the data wasn't quite what you needed because you couldn't get quite enough of it but you're still going to use it for the process anyway or uh, you know through the very best of intentions you know you were planning to to do a service that was crowdsourcing uh, flood data information for you know the right reasons of understanding the impact of that but actually in the process of doing that you can sometimes even cause a political situation because suddenly the, the, the reason for where the flooding is really bad is exposed um, and suddenly that creates a political tension perhaps between one part of society and another part of society that you simply never expected to occur. So I think the, the really important thing that we need to do though is, is start talking about particularly those times when it goes wrong you know so for example the, the strava example of you know the exposure of where there were military bases because all of the their soldiers were were doing their runs and so forth and tracking them on on strava what do we, how do we learn from that you know how do we build systems in the future that are not going to cause that sort of exposure in the public space if they're not supposed to so i think part of that culture change is is getting better at doing the sharing in there and getting better at saying, well, I made this decision, you know, so going back to that transparency register, I made this decision in the middle of the project to the best of my knowledge with the best of the information that I had at the time, I had no idea that it could cause this harm later on, but I've now backtracked and worked out why that happened. You can learn from that. And I think that's the sort of culture change that we're trying to to cause by raising this discussion around the ethics uh, and the issues related to location privacy.
1: Are you hopeful when you think about where this is going? When you look out into the future now, do you think, okay, we're heading in the right direction? Uh, are we on the right path? Or is it just completely hopeless? It's too big of a task.
0: No, I am hopeful. I think, you know, there's lots of examples around the world where the practices of Uh, governments and large organisations are being questioned. And not necessarily because they are actually, you know, we know that they're doing something wrong, but because we don't know enough information about what they're doing in order to, to sort of trust the processes that are there. So I think the more we question, the more we have hearings about antitrust, The more we have, you know, when a government says it's going to do a location tracing app and all of the the media gets up and says, well, you know, that's fine. But what are you doing with the data? How are you protecting our privacy? That gives me hope because people are questioning. They're not saying they won't use it. They're just saying, tell me more information so that I can make an educated decision about this
1: would you mind diving into some of those examples where you've seen like concrete examples where you've seen the media say hey what about this thing here and then you've seen a positive reaction from whatever organization it was on the other side
0: well actually i think that you know if you look at the the most recent one around the contact tracing apps and you look at the response of organizations like apple and google you know the biggest mobile phone os organizers in the the world they when questioned about their practices, got really open about what they thought was a good solution that would protect privacy and still help the solution. And there was a lot of questioning about that to start with and a lot of concern, but I think the outcome in the end meant that the organizations were really careful, they really thought about the solution and they really thought about what they were gonna do, and responded to those concerns and sort of shared the information that was out there for everybody. So to me, I thought that dialogue was actually quite quite healthy um, around the world between the, those organisations and I think the general public that were using their operating systems.
1: Yeah, I think that those are absolutely brilliant examples and obviously very, very topical right now. Hey, um, I think we should probably round off the conversation here. But before we do that, I've realised that I haven't done a really great job of introducing some of the work that you're currently doing. So we've mentioned the benchmark project a few times now in the conversation. Could you just put a few more words around the benchmark project for us?
0: Sure. So Benchmark Initiative is primarily a thought leadership and entrepreneur program that seeks to explore all of these ethical challenges of of using location data. Uh, So over the course of the year, we've looked at things like the ethics of location data in agriculture. We've looked at the ethics of location data in tracing apps. We've looked at the ethics of location data in waste management. So throughout that, we've also had four entrepreneurs working with us too, some looking at different techniques, one one now available around mobility data. So if you're someone who works in the mobility space, uh, have a look at the projects by if Work on our Benchmark Initiative website. There's an open source tool for privacy techniques in there that you can use. But our other entrepreneurs are looking at things like how to educate people about the location data that's collected by their mobile phone and what they can do with it. Some are looking at development data and how we can become improve, I guess, the processes for decision makers to understand where data is sourced from and how ethically appropriate it is for them to use for their decision making processes within there too. Benchmark, I should say, is not alone either. So we're funded by the media network and we work a lot in partnership with the ethical geo program over in the United States, particularly around what is called the locust charter. Uh, So one of those areas of guidance that we saw really early on was a need for the geospatial community to have a set of principles, if you like, to act as guides within this ethical new world that we need to work in. So the Locust Charter um, in draft form is up on our website now. Uh, There's a new version of that that should be up very shortly. So probably by the time this podcast is out, I think the new version will be up there for everyone to have a look at. So we're really keen to see what the global geospatial community thinks of the principles that we put forward and we're we're really keen to work with everybody to shape them so that there's something that I think that we can all own uh, and all work towards as a goal.
1: Thank you so much for, for sharing a little bit more information about that and letting people know where they can go to find out more, but where can people go now to find out more about you? If they want to connect with you, if they want to continue the conversation with you, What what should these people do?
0: Probably the easiest way to find me is jump on LinkedIn, Denise McKenzie. Uh, if you're a Twitter user, feel free to get in touch with me. I'm at SpatialRed, all one word. And uh, obviously, if you look up for the Association for Geographic Information here in the UK, there's an email address there and that would get through to me as well. So all really good ways of getting hold of me.
1: Denise, thank you so much for showing up with your delightful Australian accent and teaching us all a little bit more about the importance of um, location privacy. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: No worries, Daniel. Really pleased to be here today.
1: I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Denise. During this conversation and throughout previous conversations with Denise, it became very clear to me that there's a real tension here. So on one side, We have the promise of personalization, of being seen and understood. If we share our data about how we interact with the world, then that data can be used to make things better. On the other side, we run the risk of being exposed, of being manipulated and being treated like a product instead of the consumer. So in terms of of data privacy, I think location plays a massive role. And I think we, the geospatial community, we play a a massive role in this conversation as well. So I'm not expecting you to have all the answers to this, but I would love it if you would make the effort to to go out and educate yourself a little bit more around location privacy. And I really hope that this podcast episode has sort of set you on the right track. I would encourage you to reach out to, to Denise at the Benchmark Initiative if you're interested in carrying on the conversation. They're doing a lot of really great work out over there and i know that they're coming up with some good resources for for people to use so please reach out to denise if you're interested and and please continue to educate yourself around location privacy Thanks again to today's sponsor, LandGrid.com. This is your go-to resource for all things parcel data. So this is property boundary data for the US. It's land use data for the US. They have a lot of different ways you can get access to this data. So if this is something you need, if this is the resource that you've been looking for, go to LandGrid.com and I'm pretty confident that you'll find what you're looking for. And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping podcast. My name is Daniel. It's been a pleasure being your host again this week. Thank you so much to the people that are taking the time to share this podcast with a friend. It's much appreciated. It's helping grow the community and and it's really exciting to see. So thank you. Um, You're more than welcome to reach out to me as always on social media or via our website, mapscaping.com. I would love to hear from you. Thanks again for taking the time to listen. I'll see you next week. Bye.